Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm your host, Dwayne. I'm Sammy. And we've got some special guests today. Our friend Jamia has had some family issues come up, and I, I would appreciate if everyone could send some good thoughts and vibes to his family, uh, thoughts, prayers, vibes, do the, do the Care Bear stare and just send that greatness uh, to him. Uh, they, they could really use it right now. Definitely. But uh, in his stead, we have um, some great friends of the show, some great uh, connoisseurs, I'll say, of pop culture and the convention circuit. Uh, we have our friends Jim and Heather with us. Guys, why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Heather. I am um, one of the directors, uh, one of the co-chairs, actually, of HerdCon, which is at Marshall University. I help out with WillCon. I am also um, one of the volunteers at DragonCon, um, I am the second for the parade at Dragon Con, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, we actually still had a parade, even during COVID. Everybody marched from left to right, and the video was sliced together, and we still managed a parade. So safe. Uh, the audience consisted of Barbies and stuffed animals and stuff like that. But, you know, <laughs> we're rocking it. Um and with me is my partner in crime and life, Jim Pajarello. Oh, hey. I'm sorry. Hey, everybody. I'm Jim, uh, friend of the nerds, and I'm really just looking forward to this podcast as I have every other podcast we've been on. So uh, let's just get this show on the road. Stay with me. All right. Well, to this week, uh, as we continue our nerd advent we are reviewing home alone 1990 written by classic 80s prodigy john hughes directed by christopher columbus now i was thinking this must have been a pretty early view for christopher columbus this was his third directing credit after adventures in babysitting and heartbreak hotel i love christopher columbus uh, we are have a very young upcoming star Macaulay Culkin took the world by storm during uh, this uh, movie but before we go into Home Alone I think we're going to keep it 100 it's time to keep it 100 100 100 100 okay and um we have our special guests, and as we do, we're going to give them pride of place and let them tell us about, pimp a little something that they want to share with the Nerdverse. Okay. Um, I have been watching during this COVID period um, Charmed. And not the old Charmed, the new Charmed. Uh, the 2018 series, and it's actually not bad. I've been enjoying it because I've been running through all the series as a whole, and and once I get through this, I'll probably go back to Riverdale. <laughs> awesome, cool. awesome. Okay. So, is there any connection between this version of Charmed and and the original? I don't think so. And okay. I would have liked there to have been. It, it actually would have been cool if there had been. But no, <laughs> it's a complete rework. Okay. Well. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, Jim, you're up next for our Keeping 100. So what say you, my friend? Okay. I'm going to um, split this into two parts. I'll have 50 seconds for each, I guess. Uh, first, I want to announce today... Um, uh, today's Mingo Messenger, we announced that uh, there's a group of us, uh, including Sammy and, and Heather and 10 other people. Uh, we are start. We are launching the Heart of West Virginia. Um, we're kind of taking over the, uh, we're kind of evolving the old Art Brigade, uh, the Love Williams and Art Brigade, and we're going to, we're launching a nonprofit for uh, focusing on arts and health and trying to help the community. So Check us out on the on our Facebook page. It's the Heart of West Virginia, formerly the 
Love Williamson Art Brigade Facebook page. Uh, to get all the information and keep posted with what's going on. Um, pop culture-wise, Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, I have loved. It's uh, on Apple uh, on Apple TV+. Plus, and um, Jason Sudeikis, I uh, mix him with uh, Premiership uh, Football. And uh, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's uh, one of the rare main characters that is without cynicism or he's not an anti-hero. He's just a good, positive person. And uh, I rewatched the series three times already. Uh, it's 10 quick uh, half-hour episodes, and uh, it, it's really fun. And, and it's welcome in a time like this. So and that's it. I knew you would do Ted Lasso. <laughs> I loved it. It's just, it, it's so uplifting. It really is. And the, the, the dialogue um, just comes out of nowhere sometimes. I mean, there's so many uh, pop culture references, just uh, idiosyncrasies and in, in culture. It just, it's, it's amazing. So if any of our listeners don't know what Jim's talking about, the premise is an American football coach has been basically sent to England to coach one of their premier football leagues, okay? Or soccer, as, as we would call it here in the States. And it's that clash of culture. It's just all those little things that make it so good. But the, the characterization is just amazing. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm with Jim. I could not recommend Ted Lasso any higher. It was so good. And, so. you know, it's a premise, you know, pretty much it's a, it's a, it's a 10 episode long version of the, it's the soccer version of major league where the owner's trying to tank uh, the team, but it really, it, it, out, it outperforms every trope that is placed in the series. And it's, it's just so good. So good. I agree completely, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as uh, we had mentioned before, we are here to talk about Home Alone, 1990s Christmas classic. This movie has become a Christmas staple at my house, and uh, I would encourage uh, all of our listeners to maybe work it into their Christmas routines. It really holds up well. But uh, Heather, why don't you lead us off with your opening thoughts and grade? Um. We actually just rewatched it today, so it's very fresh in my memory. I would give it a 92 since I'm in grading mode. It, I'm a teacher, and it's the end of the semester. And um, pretty excited about it. It did hold up well. I was pretty, you know, happy watching it again. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Jim, what about you? Where where did you uh, kind of sit on I'm this, man? B plus range, um, 78, 79-ish. Um, I, this movie I enjoy, but I also didn't... I remember seeing this in the theater, and I was already uh, a jaded, uh, you know, 22-year-old. So I, I'm out, I was out of the range that had an original... Yeah, that could have a, a real affection for this movie. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I have rewatched it several times still, but um, I, I think, and we'll get into it, but really the, the underlying problem for me is, is the older I get, um, the family is just dysfunctional and they're all jerks. <laughs> it, we'll, we'll talk about that as we go on, but that's opening thoughts, yes. That's the main okay. problem. Okay. And and, and <laughs> if I remember correctly, you you have some issues with John Hughes anyway, don't you? Yes, I do. I, I thought so. I thought so. I thought I remembered something in a conversation once. So. All right, Dwayne. I think that brings it to you, sir. Uh, okay. Well, uh, as I have already alluded to, I'm not going to be biased. Um, and I'm completely head over heels for this movie. Um, just from beginning to end, I laugh. It's so absurd. This situation wouldn't happen if cell phones existed, you know, at the time. You know, there's so many movies I look back on and think, well, if they just could have Googled that, you know, or if, you know, if, if, if they just could have made that call, you know, how much of this could be resolved. But uh, yeah, bef- it, to keep from getting into too much of the, of the situations there, uh, A plus, love it. Okay. 
Awesome. Uh, you know, okay, so I guess I'm I'm rounding this out. You know, this, as Dwayne kind of talked about, this was really, I guess, the first performance for Macaulay Culkin that really kind of came on my radar. You know, I've watched Uncle Buck, but I didn't really pay attention to him a whole lot. I was more laughing at John Candy. Um, but re-watching this, there is a charm to this movie. Uh, despite the fact that it is a comedy and, and it is, you know, outrageous in a lot of places, there's some really touching moments. Um, and I will admit the entire time I'm watching it, I'm thinking that if Kevin McAllister had a stuffed tiger, this could be in Calvin and Hobbes, uh, just a hundred and ten percent. Um, so grade wise, uh, I, I'm kind of closer, more on the line of where kind of Heather was at. I'm kind of at an A minus with it. Um, and maybe that's looking through it in adult eyes and seeing a few things that, you know, maybe kind of make me go step back just a little bit more. So, but yeah, A minus. Okay. Alrighty. Well, as, um, you know, our family is all in that house together. I'm sure there was quite a few smells wafting around. So hopefully they had some fans to help them along. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. I'll go. I'll go. Okay, we're back with our fan section of, uh, of our podcast. So, Jim, you are leading off here. Um... Catherine O'Hara. I love, love, mm. love, 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 love Catherine O'Hara. I, um, you know, there are certain uh, female performers in certain genres where, you know, it's like, okay, this, this woman's my music crush. This woman's my, you know, um, you know, independent movie crush. Uh, Catherine O'Hara at an early age because of SCTV was my comedy crush. Mm. She, she was, and I was a big fan of hers. I was a big fan of hers when I first watched this movie. In fact, I think I watched it because she was in it not necessarily for anything else other than I knew Catherine O'Hara was in this movie. So um, I wish they gave her a little bit more to do, but, uh, and it's more of a straight role for her, but I, I just, I love every moment she's on the screen. I really do. That was, it's, it's my favorite thing uh, about this movie. Okay. Cool. Yeah. She, she's great. And I really did love this to see, you know, how um, all of your second city guys. Yeah got a oh. lot of work you know through these through these john hughes and, and they just kept weaving in and out mm-hmm. and she's so relevant now with with, with schitt's creek you know mm-hmm. it's so amazing that you know the longevity of her career um, yeah and also a mighty wind I, I love her in a, in a mighty wind too so um yeah. but this i mean really uh but go ahead i'm done <laughs> yeah, yeah, she has maintained relevancy as uh, as does Heather. Uh, always has something relevant and pertinent to say. So Heather, why don't you lead Aww. off, or why don't you take the next step here? I'd like to point out this is the beginning of Macaulay Culkin's career. Mm-hmm. Um, other than a few weird cameos these days, he doesn't really do much. But for a while there, it seemed like he was in a lot of things. Uh, this is his pre-Michael Jackson period, and he it's also was... his pre-B period. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah. He was so cute in that movie, that. <laughs> um. Well, no, I mean he's just adorable. He wasn't weird at this stage, you know, dressing up like Michael Jackson and appearing in videos and. That was just odd. Um, so I'd like to just point out, you know, also, um, shout out to Chris Columbus. And I do love John Hughes. I am actually a big John Hughes fan, and Jim would probably say apologist. Um, I love Breakfast Club. I love 16 Candles. Those, those are my childhood. And my teenage years. Um, so I love him. And Chris Columbus, also known as the director of the first two Harry Potter movies. 
correct? Yep. That's where I really became aware of him as a thing was the Harry Potter movies. But uh, <clears throat> as I look back at his career, he's he's been solid, a solid guy. Sam, yep. you're next, my man. Well, you know, I, I guess mine somewhat feeds off of what Heather talked about. You know, yeah, this is the beginning of Macaulay Culkin's career. But what I love about this movie is I love Kevin's monologues. You know, he is like an eight-year-old Ferris Bueller. I mean, it's almost like John Hughes <laughs> thought, okay, how could I take Ferris Bueller and make him an eight-year-old kid? Um and I like that about it. You know, the moments when he's breaking that fourth wall, almost talking to the audience, it just kind of endears the character. Um, you know, it's that look into the, the character's mind that normally in a movie you don't get. You have to read a book to be able to get that internal monologue, that exposition. You know, with a movie like this and the way they designed Kevin's character, you get that in this movie. And I think that's pretty cool. So, yeah, that was probably my biggest fan. Is I love those monologues. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> unlike Lady Hawk, I did enjoy the monologues in this movie. <laughs> and mine uh, kind of comes right along with what you guys are talking with, with especially with uh, Macaulay Culkin and, and his monologue. He's working his way through. My fan of this movie is how he realizes the value of family. How he realizes, you know, you, you don't always understand what you have. What you have may be a mess. It might not always be what you want, but it's exactly what you need. And it's exactly what is going to grow you and love you is that family. And as he works, you know, along the, the issues at the beginning with everybody being stuck in their own worlds, going around, bustling back and forth and, you know, just trying to, you know, make something happen for the holiday. He wishes them away and they're away. He has a party for a few days and then he starts realizing, you know, oh, this is happening. Now, I remember, you know, you, you have thoughts of this movie. You think that large, large chunks of this movie are the burglars in the house going through all the booby traps and stuff. But I actually did the time and it and that doesn't start until one hour and 17 minutes into this thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you have all of his character development, all of his growth there. And, uh, you know, as as weird as Macaulay Culkin got in, in his later career, and I love him in those weird roles. He is phenomenal. I, I, I love his turn in Saved, um, some of his, his more awkward moments. But uh, he really was, uh, you know, able to portray that turn of, you know, finding value in the thing that you disdained. Well, you know, we, we, we've learned that you don't know what you want till it's gone, you know? So it's just that kind of thing. So. Okay. Well, you know, we saw the, the kitchen sink after uh, he done some quote unquote cooking, I would say. <laughs> I'm sure he had to scrub the pans. And as we come back with our pan section, uh, you know, this isn't a perfect movie. As some of you have said, not me, but as some of you had said. Uh, so, Heather, what is something that maybe set you off on this movie? Maybe it's the 2020 me. Um, but I had a huge problem with the fact that, and I blame the mother not so much the father, and he actually should have 50% of the of the blame. But for me, I don't know why, but I blame the mother um, for completely forgetting her child. And then that the police, when they call the police, ask the police to check in on Kevin. And the police went, rapped on the door, no sleds were on, said, no kids here. This was a joke. And I mean, if anything had happened to that kid, I, I hate to think of the liability issues. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm just, maybe this is just me bringing in some reality here, but I mean, this is a huge CPS issue. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, truly it is. And, and you think how times have changed over the years. You have, you know, Lord have mercy. We had to run in the neighborhood, you know, in the 80s. Uh, you know, just, just come home when it's dark, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, parents, you know, hardly knew what was going on, but you know, like, like you said, to lose a kid and to, to contact the quote unquote authorities, you know, who more times than not, even in real life appear to be inept. Um, they, there's this awful situation that, that this young man is in it, real danger. Uh, luckily he had seen some episodes of MacGyver and knew how to how to work that house up. So, Jim, why don't why don't you bring us uh, another pan there? Um, the casting of John Hurd as the father, Peter, uh, because <laughs> whenever I see him on the screen, I think of him as the heel in Big. So, <laughs> in family, oh, yes. of course, they're a mess. They're the patriarch is a guy who thinks that robot buildings are a good idea for for kids. Um, so. You know, take, and I was hoping there'd be, you know, modern day you might get, get some Easter eggs where like Kevin's, root, yeah, the 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 attic is full of building plastic buildings that turn into robots. That would've been amazing. <laughs> but also, um, the characterization of the dad, where uh, his brother calls his son a little jerk in front of everybody. I don't. I mean, I can't imagine not wanting to slug my brother. You know, that that's and he just sits there and lets his brother uh, berate his child. You know, his youngest son. Um, I have a hard time with that, but otherwise I didn't have much, much for him to do, but I was entertained thinking of big while, uh, while he was on screen, but I also hated him because, you know, he was awful big. Buildings that, you know, robots that turn into buildings aren't fun. You know, they never allude to what the dad does in the, uh, to, to be able to have that kind of house and be able to, you know, be able to go to Paris for like nine and all this kind of stuff. So well, I'm sure after is, is after Josh Baskin disappeared from the face of the earth, um, you know, he was able, his, his, his torture just still kept going, you know, he, he <laughs> can't rise and star again. <laughs> but where, where'd Josh Baskin go? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, actually, if you remember, it was, um, the brother-in-law, not the jerky brother-in-law, but one of the right. uncles that paid for the trip. Oh, he paid for the trip. That's Paris. correct. Mm. Yeah. That's correct. And that's interesting. But yeah, that house was something else in that neighborhood. Um, <clears throat> I'm mixed up with the pan, and uh, I, I I just don't really have much of anything to bring in other than, you know, just... Like I guess, like Heather says, you know, if if the police would have been more active and 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 <clears throat> had their head out of their butt, they could have maybe aborted a lot of this movie, which wouldn't have been very fun for us. But uh, you know, I guess that's it. Sam, what do you have? <laughs> you know, I, I think for for me, in in terms of pans go, you know, I think this goes with most John Hughes films. I'll be quite honest. There's always that little bit of the plot you almost have to just give a pass. Uh, we talked about it in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles when it just kept going and going and going. Uh, you know, there's parts of Kevin's antics that I can buy you know, spraying the steps with water and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I can kind of get an eight-year-old thinking that. The blowtorch, on the other hand, um, I think that starts pushing the boundaries of believable, maybe just a little bit. It doesn't detract from the movie or the story, but it's one of those things, if you think too long about it, you're like, I don't know about that. <laughs> Yeah, some of the booby traps and uh, you know got got kind of crazy, and then you have the uh, epic zip line to the uh, treehouse uh, rescue there at the end. It was, yeah, was pretty. It was pretty fun. But yeah, but some if of anybody's ever kind of done their own zip line and tried to do that, we know it sags in the middle. You know. <laughs> yep. Well. As nice as the house was, it seemed a little cluttered to me, especially if you looked on the mantelpiece. Maybe there was a few too many awards there. 
All right. Now we're back with uh, our section of the show where we give out some awards. And we have, uh, you know, a great selection of awards uh, put down here by Jamie. We have our four episode uh, consistence and our two episode specifics. Uh, Jim, you are leading off with the best performance. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Daniel Stern. Um, physical comedy. I mean, it, it was so, he kept the movie going for me uh, on this rewatch. Um, you know, I, I just, the, if you don't have someone who can sell uh, the booby traps and, and all the, the nonsense, um, it's essential. I mean, you need to have a nice mix of, of slapstick and seriousness and a little bit of menace. Not too much, but uh, I thought he, I thought, I, I think this movie doesn't work uh, unless they have someone gifted like uh, like Daniel Stern. I, I really am impressed. On a rewatch as a, as a as, you know, much older, I'm like, uh, I was really watching the way he reacted, his facials, and just, it, it's it's classic. And it's, it's a way to, um, you know, is what a supporting actor needs to be. You know, you need to sell, you need to help sell what's going on uh, without, you know, calling too much attention to yourself. And I think it was perfect. Yeah, I'm going to follow up directly with what you said with about Daniel Stern, and I'm with Joe Pesci. And, you know, uh, <clears throat> this almost straight man to uh, Daniel Stern's goof there. Uh, you have them the duo of the Wet Bandits, and uh, I love their juxtaposition there. But Joe Pesci is just so just about business. Let's scope this out. Well, this house is turned on at 6.15. This house is turned on at 6.23. That house turns on at 7.02. You know, and he's just sitting there, just laid it all out. And he's just all business, like, let's get it, get in and get out. But Daniel Storch is like, let's leave the water on and flood the place with the wet bandits. And he wants to leave a legacy. He wants to be known for something. And, and that they just cracked me up so much. They're, they're uh, uh, you know, chemistry and uh, the way they were able to work together. Oh, me. Um, I actually, I'm torn between the mother, but also the neighbor. Um, his, the fact that he wasn't communicating with his son and his conversation with Macaulay Culkin's Kevin in the church, it just, you know, it just pulled at my heartstrings. Mm -hmm. And it was also an adult version of what Kevin's going through if it really went to an extreme. So, I mean, it was talking about the power of family and the power of forgiveness. So I just thought that was such an amazing performance. Yeah, the neighbor Marley... Uh, was really a great heart of the movie. He really had an impact. Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, best performance, I ended up going with Macaulay Culkin on this. Um, and, and I think I did it because, and I've said this a lot, with so many movies, if your lead character does not work, your movie doesn't work. And if he does not come across as Kevin McAllister the way that we need him to, this movie is not going to be successful. It's not going to be remembered. Dwayne, it's not going to be on your every year Christmas rewatch list. You know, so Macaulay Culkin, his speech patterns, the way that he delivers, I just think it works really. So, uh, yeah, definitely that's my best performance. Okay. <clears throat> well, in a movie that can be kind of sketchy, uh, a la Saturday Night Live, uh, SCTV, you have a lot of great scenes. Heather, why don't you pick your favorite out and tell us about it? Okay, that was a hard one for me because uh, the trap scene is the payoff. That is the payoff for the movie. And I wanted to say that was the best scene. And I really do think it's the best scene. But that's going to be discussed more at length, I think. Um, I actually thought, emotionally, the mother getting home. And then the family getting home. And then Kevin realizing that he hadn't truly wished his family away. Yeah. Mm, that's good. 
like that. It's good. See him? Uh, you know, I think for me, you know, Heather had mentioned about um, the interactions between Marley and Kevin. Uh, Robert Bloom played uh, Marley. And, you know, there's a couple of scenes that we get these really touching moments. Uh, I think the one, uh, to, to quote Jamie, maybe got the room just a little dusty, was at the main end. When Kevin looks out the window and he sees Marley reunited with his son and his granddaughter, uh, you know, in a movie that that's really a lot of hijinks and hilarity, it's just such a touching moment. Um, and I think it, it's it, it kind of is that, I guess, cherry on top of the Sunday for Kevin's development as a character uh, and just to see that. I just thought that was really touching. Like I said, touched my heart. Yeah, Marley uh, <clears throat> as a character was really um, impactful in this movie. I'll say uh, he had a great, you know, story to bring to light Kevin's situation. Um, I'm going to go with another scene with him in it. I'm going to go with him where Kevin encounters him in the church. Mm-hmm. Because you still, he still doesn't know. He still doesn't get him. He's still trying to figure him out. But then he starts to see some truth, and he starts to communicate and see what's happening there. So that'll be my my best scene, is uh, the interaction between Marley and Kevin in the church. So Jim, you're around us out here. Yes, man. my favorite scene is the floating head dialogue uh, callback um, where he's going over everything that negative that his family had said about him. Uh, and I love, I, mean, I was watching it tonight and I was thinking, they don't do this in movies anymore with the floating heads, you know, and no. I, I think it needs to be done. It needs to be brought back. You know, there needs to be a floating head flashback renaissance because it was so common uh, when we were younger to see that in the late 70s, early 80s, mm-hmm. you know, through the 90s. And just where does where is it gone? And uh, that just really made me happy to see that type of uh, movie making again. Yeah. Right? It doesn't exist anymore, but it should be brought back. I mean, it'd be wonderful to have that in the, in, in the Marvel movies. That'd be amazing. But anyway. Yeah, and, 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 that, and that that technique was used in television. It was yeah. used in movies. Like, I, I can even remember when the fourth Doctor was regenerating into the fifth, we got the floating heads oh. of all the, the different companions awesome. that Tom Baker's Doctor had had you know, had been in the TARDIS with him as on, and all their lines and stuff were happening. So yeah, that, that was a technique used a lot. And to any of our younger listeners, if you're not familiar with the floating heads technique, it was so uh, famous and well-known. It was even used in school pictures. If you think about you (laughs) had the, you had the picture of of yourself or, you know, the the students sitting there all proper in their clothes and you have just a, 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 their close up of their head floating in, in an upper corner. Uh, I think Will Ferrell has a great uh, one that's used <laughs> yeah. in a lot of memes uh, to, to bring that to light. I love that. Yeah. Some, some floating head uh, action would not be a miss nowadays. All right. So I guess I'm leading off best character and I'm so glad that Jim brought up Daniel Stern as his best performance, because that is going to be my best character. And I do this all the time with Jamie. He'll pick one for performance and I'll pull at the character. Marv Merchants, uh, played by Daniel Sturd. I mean, that character does stand out because there's so many small nuances to the character that Stern brings. The physical comedy works. It's great. He sells everything. But there's those little nuances. When he takes the chewing gum and puts it on the bottom of the snow globes to stick them on the dashboard, just those little teeny things that that jump out at you that, that are kind of interesting and make that an interesting character, I think. Those little quirks. Oh, I'll go. I'll go. Yeah. Um, I have to go with Kevin. Just because even even as much as you know, the thing is, I have. And what I'll do is I'll frame it like this: every time I refer to Macaulay Culkin, it's not is not um, to Kevin and McAllister in Home Alone; it's to Thomas J in My Girl. So mm-hmm. that has, and 
you know, I, I, when I watched it tonight, it kind of erased him being uh, stung by a million bees. And I think that's a, you know, a tribute to the, the strength of his character. I had fun watching Macaulay Culkin again rather than, you know, seeing him in his glasses and worrying about why he doesn't have his glasses because he can't see without his glasses. And, right. Uh, but no, but just, um, you know, it's fun. I mean, having a, a, a lead child character could be so annoying sometimes, but this was not, this, this was not annoying. This was not, the, Kevin was not annoying to me. So I guess I can use that as my, my basis for best character. He erased memories of bee stings and he was not annoying. <laughs> okay, you're killing me over here, Jim. I just can't deal anymore. Okay, I got it. No, I mean, who didn't want to be Kevin? Who did not want to be Macaulay Culkin in the, the 90s when the, you know, he, he came forth with this? It was so great. Uh, such a wonderful performance. Uh, you know, so inventive, so cool, just ruling the house, kicking these, you know, burglars' butt in such cool and creative ways. So I'm going with Kevin also. Yeah. Heather, round us out, sweetness. Oh my gosh. Um, if it weren't for Sammy, we'd all be saying Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Sam having to be difficult. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I don't know if it was Chris Columbus. I don't know if it was the script. I don't know if it was Macaulay Culkin just blossoming early. Um, or it could have just been a perfect vehicle for him. But it, it was just a really well-developed character. And we spent a lot of time with him. So we really got to see his journey from being a spoiled kid who bounced on beds and stomped around the house, insisting that he didn't want his family anymore, to somebody who actually went and decorated the house for Christmas. Um, he put up a tree, he even put up, um, you know, all of the stockings, mm -hmm. he yeah. decorated presents for his whole family, and all he wanted was just his family back. I just thought it was so well-rounded, but it was definitely a journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this really, truly was a lightning and bottle performance you had with him. Um, you know, I'm sure it was a combination of the director, the script, producers, and, you know, the right kid at the right time. Yeah. Yeah, really was. So here we go. Well, <clears throat> this brings us to our last uh, of our um, show staple awards, which is best quote. And I'm leading off on this one. Now, this is a quote that I oftentimes want to say when I'm left home alone myself. You know, when 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 the wife and the kids are gone, and you know, you've got free reign of the fridge, I've got free reign of the remote control. You know, I want to kick back in my recliner and say, guys, I'm eating junk and watching rubbish. You better come punish me. <laughs> That's my best quote. Let me say mine before anyone else does it. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I wish we had the video of Heather doing the, the shaving, uh, yeah. uh, you know, after shave on the face, you know. <laughs> okay, I'll go with mine. Um, it's a minor one. It, it was part of the floating head uh, dialogue flashback. And I had to look at the name of the character. It was Lenny McAllister with, you know, Kevin, you're what the French call lays and competence, which <laughs> kills me because it's so devoid of any wit. And it's when you're saying something in a different language that means practically the same thing in English. You know, you say the incompetent people the same. There's no subtleties there. There's no. There's no cleverness there, and I love it so much because it's delivered by a snotty teenage girl, and that's perfect. And I, <laughs> just something about that just got to me so much, and I was like, 
I love that line because uh, the layers of just nothingness there, and it's it's amazing. So that that one that one's mine. It's a little it's a little bit, and uh, like I said, it just it, 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 that entertained me a lot uh, during the rewatch. So. And, and and that fit her personality so well, I, I think. Yeah. You know, even though we don't get a whole lot of all the other siblings, uh, with the exception of probably Buzz, you know, it's it's one of those things. It really defines her as, yeah. and what her character is about. So I thought that was fun. They don't have a lot of time to define them, the, the others. You know, they really don't. Yeah. You know. Well, with uh, so many. <laughs> yeah. With the, you know, kind of like with the kid in the Pepsi. It's like, okay, we, we know that he pees in the bed. And. <laughs> He was oddly excited over the fact that he was drinking Pepsi. Like he was. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as far as my quote, uh, I came down to two, and both of these are from Kevin. Um, I think I'm going to go with the one he's sitting at the table, and it says, "Bless this highly nutritious, microwavable macaroni and cheese dinner, and the people who sold it to me on sale." Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he's doing the shopping and having to find a value uh, when he can get one. Well, this brings us to our episode-specific awards. And Jim, you uh, have the distinct honor of leading off with the hardest laugh. What cracked okay. you up the most? Joe Pitchy under the blowtorch. I really did because they, <laughs> they, they have him under there for like... 15 seconds, it seems like. It's like an eternity, and he's just sitting there. Yeah. And they they cut, they, they, they zoom on him, cut away, and he zoom back. And it's like, why would he sit, why would he stand underneath a blowtorch for that long? It's just so absurd, but I loved it. I loved mm -hmm. it. And, you know, really basic stuff, you know. Uh, but yeah, man under a blowtorch. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> You know, I, I think for me, hardest laugh, and one of the things I really liked is this scene was almost foreshadowed. At the beginning, Kevin's dad tells him to pick up his micro machines because his aunt about broke her neck. So, uh-oh, Heather's giving me a look. <laughs> that was mine! <laughs> But when they step on those and fly into the air, I just laugh so heartily at that. And, and and Heather, anything else you can add to that? Well, I guess my backup one was the ball shot. <laughs> I'll just leave it right there. You're the dog tour of a dog we never saw them have. Thing, do you think that's the only time ever in movies that the term micro machines was ever used? Yeah, you gotta wonder. Probably, probably. That was some wonderful product placement there. Yeah, it was awesome how how hard the product placement was in here. Here, he's drinking a Pepsi. <laughs> Go pick up your micro machine, son. <laughs> yeah, it was so great. Maybe that was but a you, toy he designed. Maybe uh, the yeah, there you go. That was, yeah, that's, that's where all his money come from. But yeah, uh, Heather, uh, Sam took mine as well. You know, when they, when they go on a trip on the machines, that was, I just crack up every time. I mean, it's just such, you know, kid humor, but uh, it's so great. So uh, a backup of mine would be... Um, you know, all of the uh, the antics in the basement. I think it's Daniel Stern is stuck in the basement for a while, just getting slapped around with the iron, the rakes, the different things. So that's mine. There is one thing, though. I actually kind of had, I mean, this, the next question was kind of, it leads into that. But um, I had a problem with Daniel Stern stepping on the nail. No, I just thought, okay, that the mm -hmm. most of these are funny. That one is seriously painful. Yeah. They're trying that... to rob his house, honey. <laughs> they're trying to they're trying to burglarize his house. I don't I I, know. I what if it had been a rusty nail? 
Yeah, that that nail situation that you see there, you know, much like the the nail that happens in a quiet place, yeah, it just I was gives about me that. cringes mm-hmm. yep. every time. It's like, <laughs> it, did anyone ever? Did all, do you guys think of the Ewoks when rewatching this with the paint cans coming down? <laughs> yeah. I, thought, I thought it was very Ewok esque. It really was. I was thinking, hmm, it, it reminds me of Jedi. Yep. Old, old tricks are the best tricks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, you know, in, in our age uh, of, uh, I don't know if uh, studios are just afraid to make new content or if, uh, you know, they just can't find new content. But it seems like everything is being rebooted. I truly pray they don't reboot this. But what is something that better not best not be in an eventual reboot if it happens. Heather? I know it's the whole point of the friggin' movie, but I think parents groups are really going to have an issue with Kevin being in actual danger. The wet bandits were really going to hurt him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were in a place where they really wanted to harm that child. And I, I just I really see parents groups having a problem with it. Yeah. Could definitely cause some issues there. Sam, why don't you take next? You know, I I think similarly to that, the opening scene with uh, Joe Pesci's Harry dressed as a police officer. I don't think that would fly in, in today's society. Uh, you know, that idea of him dressed as the police officer and then returning back, uh, you know, as, as one of the burglars and stuff. I don't think that that's an image that would probably pass censors uh, at this point, to be quite honest. So that, that's one I think they would probably cut and change that just a little bit in a, in a reboot. Mm-hmm. Jim? Um, two th- well, Two things first come to mind. AR-15s better not be in the reboot. And um, bees. <laughs> and also, I, I don't think they can get away with the scene where she's bartering for a plane ticket in the airport. I don't think that's going to fly in, in, with modern security these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of uh, goes into mind, too, is uh, you know, uh, everything that happens with them running through the airport. Uh, with, uh, you know, like you said, bartering for plane tickets, the whole situation there. Uh, the child endangerment uh, brings up a huge issue. The uh, the impersonation of, of a police officer, uh, you know, just brings distrust to the police. It's something that we're really trying to teach our children against nowadays. Uh, you know, the police are here to help. But I, I really just don't want to see this thing remade as a reboot. But uh, mm-hmm. there are some actors I think could maybe pull this reboot off and there is a particular actor who maybe we would like to be stuck home alone with Keanu Reeves he's not in this movie but much like every other movie we review we have to find a connection we have to find where Keanu connects did he was he able to help Kevin to formulate all of these booby traps was he the moral conscience and the guide? What actor in this show brings us to Keanu? Jamie's not here this week, but he has left a prepared statement. Sam, would you care to read that, please? All right. So Jamie t- did leave us a prepared statement, and here it goes. He apologized that it's a little long. So, you know, you all have seen some of Jamie's swerves or heard some of Jamie's swerves. So, Some movies have interesting relationships with their sequels. I know why Home Alone 2 was made, but it takes a highly implausible premise and ratches it up to 11. And then Macaulay Culkin tapped out and they just kept going. There are five, count them, five Home Alone movies. There are other weird scenarios. For example, the Matrix sequels. Those are just unnecessary. The Matrix had a very satisfying ending. 
Now, Matrix 4 is in danger of jumping the shark since it stars Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss, who, spoiler warning, both died in Matrix Revolutions. This isn't the Keanu connection. Just a juke move there. Juke move for those listeners that are not sports people. That's like a fake move, okay? So, Jamie, you would appreciate me me defining that. Um, speaking of jumping the shark, Jaws sequels. Yep, those are a thing, but I'd better wrap this up. Mark Beltzman played Stosh in Home Alone, a movie that needed zero sequels. He's also a convertible driver in Speed 2, a sequel to a Keanu hit, and apparently the script for that bad boy was so awesome, Keanu said he was all set and passed on a big payday. So yeah, it's a reach, but it's the best I've got, or Jamie's got. So Mark Beltzman and Speed 2 are this week's Keanu Connection. <gasps> Alrighty. <laughs> well, I always love those uh, sideways dives there. And uh, again, I would very much like to appreciate our guests, uh, Jim uh, and Heather for coming along and uh, reviewing this, uh, especially on a little bit of short notice there. But uh, guys, we, it's always a blast to have you on. It's always a blast to talk to you. Well, next nerd advent, as we come to round out the Christmas season, is a movie of Jamie's pick. And I hate that he's not here to defend it. He always talks about this movie to us. He loves it so much. It's Bill Murray in Scrooged. Um, so this is going to be a fun watch. I don't think I've seen this movie since uh, probably before 1990, uh, probably right when it was released. I'm not even sure when that was right now, but, uh, unfortunately it's not freely streaming anywhere that I found, uh, on a, on a quick dive before the show. I picked my copy up at Walmart for around $7. You can rent it on Prime Video or Vudu for $2.99 or purchase for $7.99. Hulu, Netflix, and Peacock let me down this time, guys. But uh, Scrooged will be our next watch for our Nerd Advent. So, Sammy, as we dust off that VHS or DVD copy of Scrooged, What are we going to do? We're not going to peek until the ghost tells us while we keep it nerdy. Go first. Oh. Um, hold on, let me mute that.